Lexus Absolute Rally, powered by the Kielder Works team. Cordless tools tailored for the world of motorsport. Hello everyone, welcome to Absolute Rally, episode 6.5. The reason why it's episode (laughs) 6.5 is because last week, myself and Alistair um, made a bit of a boo-boo. In fact, you know what, I'm going to take ownership of it. We put out episode 6 last week, it should have been episode 5 just to confuse everybody so technically you can have this as episode 6b uh or just episode um episode 6.5 if you want um i don't know i don't know what we'll well i just want to address it very very early doors because this week um trev's with me and i know trev is always keen on episode numbers and season numbers hello trev hello how are you i'm, I'm do you know what mate i'm all the better because i'm surrounded by familiarity and I can't even say that word normally. So trips off the tongue. It just trips off the tongue, doesn't it? And we've also got our Yankee Doodle Dandy back. Easy <laughs> Yankee Doodle Dandy, Jack Bengen. Hello. It's a shame Ryan Champion couldn't be asked to turn up, isn't it? But, you know, but listen, <laughs> in the scheme of things, right, with our man from Del Monte, I don't know whether you heard the episode. The, what the episode we did when he was still on, on the, um, the East African Safari summed up Ryan Champion. 100% right I don't like anybody who goes over 100% by the way because that's mathematically impossible so anybody who does 101 can't have it sorry uh, it's always 100% that's it um, Jack, I don't know if you heard that episode but literally he was laying on the side of the pool just handing his phone round to people who were around him on different sun lounges yeah that was the ideal scenario of him wasn't it do a quick intro and then just palm the work off to everybody else it was perfect you can imagine him we've joked for such a long time about him being our man from del monte in my head he had a white suit on while while he was recording that he definitely had a white suit <laughs> in the sun on. on a sun lounger next to the pool with a full white suit on yeah 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 and just a pineapple next to him just ready to cut the top off it and and say yes basically just to give you a bit of a, a throwback there to the 90s advert for the man from Del Monte um, so yeah so that's, so that's good so, so Jack's back um, which is important because um, we should we're, we're going to take this moment Jack to, to wish you congratulations uh, on your engagement oh Thank you very much much yeah. appreciated yeah. you so, tied up a permanent co-driver <laughs> <laughs> nice touch yeah and, very pleased and 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 that other voice you, you've heard, which you've probably heard a million times before, um, is the biggest person on 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 record ever to be on, on this podcast. John Desperate, hello. Hello, lovely to, to hear you all. Lovely to be here. It's great. Well, it's, you know what, John? It's great to have you here. It really is. It's it's just nice. Well, thank you. It's I was just, just thinking of. Uh, I'm not one to drop names, uh, as I was saying. I was saying David Beckham once back in Los Angeles, but uh, hearing about the Ryan Champion story in uh, on the on the safari, I was reminded of the safari we did, and how uh, at the end of the day we would drink beers in the Hemingway Bar at the Safari Park Hotel. That was. Uh, I just, that's the memory that um, returns to me. So, yeah, very pleasant. It's a tough old life you've led, isn't it, John? <laughs> uh, it was, yeah. It was very tough. But as there's fin- the Finns have a saying for that. They say, Elma Onkova. That was taught to me by one T. Mackinnon, who uh, said that to me at the end of winning some rally somewhere. And I said, what does that mean? And he said, that's Finnish for it's a tough life. Oh. Elma Uncover. I thought you said enema. Do you know what? For the fact that some people may say you're full of shit, John, that's possibly one of the best terms. That, well, that's, that's also true. That goes without saying. <laughs> I love it. Well done, Trev. There you go. I feel like I've got my side kicked back. 
my gr- my <laughs> my grumpy sidekick is back. I'm in very <laughs> good mood today. Well, are you, you're in a good mood today. That's good. That's good to know. What, can I ask why you're in a good mood? Or is that your personal question? Just to hear your voice again. All right, okay. It's been weeks. It, it's it? been it has been weeks, Trev. But you know, you, we're, we're all busy. You know, we, you've got yeah. you've got Jackie Boy Banyan appearing on Sky. Um, yeah. For all the right reasons, um, as mm. opposed to the other reasons, um, <laughs> we, we, we can't talk about that court case clearly. Um, oh God! Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So, the other question, Jack, before we move on. Sorry, I realised that the, the, the beginning of this podcast is completely utterly frivolous. Um, how's the dog? Yeah, Rexy's great. Thanks. Sexy Rexy, love it, love it. Okay. Um, if you get a female version. Of a dog? Are you going to get a second? Dog? Would you call it Sheba? <laughs> because that's I've, I've, normally the, the only thing I've the only thing I've thought about a second dog is that I'm not having one because one of them's enough to be honest. Right. Okay. Most, it, Rex was always, and I'm going, I realise I'm going off on a tangent here, and we're not, we haven't even got to Sweden or, or indeed rallying. Um, most people who had a dog called Rex, they were normally Alsatians, and they'd have a female as well, and they'd be called Sheba. <laughs> True. <laughs> Statistically true, that is. Statistically true. Uh, um, listen, I'm going to give you, boys, all three of you, my any other business now to let you think about it and then come back to me towards the end. Right. So, um, M Sport uh, have, have said, obviously, they feel that there's going to be a, a strong customer base for the new Rally One Fiesta, the hybrid, uh, which kind of got me thinking because we, we, we've kind of lost the private entry WRC cars over well, certainly, obviously, from, from 2017 onwards, um, the best non-factory liveries on a current World Rally car over the last last 25 years. Okay, I don't expect oh, you to answer now. I just want you to think about it. I should have probably put this out on Twitter, to be honest with you. And maybe that's, if you're listening and you're, you're listening somewhere, screen grab something and send it to us. Obviously, you know, don't. They do it the right way. Don't don't just suddenly go on into people's archives and give them give credit where you can is where I'm going with this. Um. So so yeah. So the three. Yeah, have a little bit of a think. Um. Non kind of factory liveries on a current spec car that we've had over the years, and there's been some wonderful ones, hasn't there? Um. So yeah. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give you mine. I just wanted to kind of give you my any other business early to give you a bit of time. So when we got to that Thank point, you. we could talk about it. Very um, no, no. It's it. Listen. Um. Just to set the tone. Uh, we're going to be joined a little bit later on by our own John Armstrong, um, who Grand I was be- very, very giddy about over the weekend. Um, so we won't talk about John now, but I was really, really giddy. The boys are all going to have one question and one question only to ask John when he joins us, and then we're going to get rid of him because uh, we don't want him to get too big for his boots, obviously. Jesus, oh. two things I have to think about now. <laughs> I know, I know. And what I want you to do while you're doing that is to pat your head and rub your belly. Okay. <laughs> right, Trevor Agnew, what did we learn this past weekend on Rally Sweden? It was inevitable Cali Rovenpera would win it because it was the 69th running of the Rally Sweden. Oh, very good. I like that. Boom. Switch the podcast off there. Yeah. Thank you. That's good night. very good. Yeah. Done and dusted. Yeah. There's, there not, there's nothing else to say. Do you know what? You should have just dropped your headset there for having just got off. <laughs> I did actually, but there's no microphone on it, so I feel <laughs> Right, okay. As you've now ruined it for everybody else, Trev, why did I go to you first? Um Jack Benyon, I know obviously you've been travelling and stuff, but you, you still still say abreast of things, so to speak. Um what what did you learn from Sweden? 
Well, there's, there's too many to pick in one, I think. I think um, I'll, I'll pick one then. I'll pick the the new base of the rally being fantastic, really, I thought. I know, um, you know, some people maybe didn't like there was quite a lot of straights. And I think Pally Rovenpera described one of the stages as like, was it, was it a highway or a motorway or something? He, he described it as because there were so many long straights. But, you know, every rally is a, a compromise. Anyone who's, you know, been involved in rally organisation to any extent will, will know that for sure. And I think the... The, the thing that we've complained about for quite a few years now, or especially I've complained about, is that we keep going back to a place in, in Sweden for a snow rally that doesn't necessarily have snow every year. There's, <laughs> snow's not a guarantee. So to go but to go to a place where it looks like, um, at least for the for the near future, um, you know, the forecasts are usually good around that time of year for that location. I thought the the move was great, and it was it was it was nice. Uh, you know, it looks like I mean, obviously I wasn't there, but it looks like a a place where it's it's kind of just big enough. To, to feel like, uh, you know, a place big enough to hold a rally, but also small enough to have that kind of old school, maybe, um, you know, rally feel of going out a bit, out, out in the sticks a bit, not being stuck in a, in, in a city, so to speak. So yeah, I really enjoyed the location of the rally and thought that played a, a big part in, in what went on. And it was great to see that, you know, we were actually guaranteed some snow. Well, they've got it for the next two years, which is, which also gives some stability. Mm. Uh, which, yep. which, which, which I think is important in the current world. Um, John, before we get into the general discussion, same question: What did we learn from Rally Sweden? Um, well, everything seems to have been taken away from me and dealt with so far. But maybe I can ask a question to uh, answer oh, your question. When okay. is an external? When is an external component not an external component? That's what maybe I could throw out there. <laughs> When is a rally hybrid unit or whatever they're calling them now an external component? When is it not? Uh, if that's an external component, then how many other external components are there on other cars that could be treated as external components? Because I really felt for Oit. Um, and uh, Oit, when he has got steam on, will tell you what's in his soul and in his mind in about six sentences of six words, because he keeps it all to himself. But, you know, eventually it's going to just boil over. It's going to be a Ned Flanders uh, moment. I call it, them Ned yeah, Flanders was, moments, basically. It was uh, There was one uh, live interview he did where I, I heard him say his answer, and I thought, did he say it's a shock? No, he said it's a joke. It's a joke. Uh, and, you know, that guy at the moment just can't cut a break, let alone get a win. Um, but if, I suppose the thing we did learn, um, thinking about Oit and the others, is that the championship should be nice and wide open because we had lots of stage winners and lots of rally leaders. Uh, and normal service has been resumed because Thierry Nerville is in second place. <laughs> 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 That's for all our Belgian listeners. Um, right. A couple of things a couple of things that I want to kind of get our teeth into very, very early on. We always go with the you know, the, nobody listens to this podcast based on the fact they're gonna get any any facts, let's be honest. Um <laughs> or indeed the fact that they know the results. So we, we there's an assumption you, you you haven't buried your head in the sand and you don't know what's going on in Rally Sweden. So we will always talk as if you know um what what's going on in Rally Sweden. So if you are a new listener, welcome. It's lovely to have you along, but that's kind of the tack that we'll always go with. Um Jack, um with regards to the, the one thing, and I watched it again last night with John's dulcet tones talking over it, funny enough, with, with, my, with my lovely wife, and we watched um, some of the highlights last night, and it was the moment where Elvin had his moment, um, and I let her, and I, my, 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 my wife's been to lots of rallies with me over the last 
God knows how many years, uh, both as a spectator and obviously when I've been competing and stuff like that. And I wanted to let her tell me what should happen with what happened with Elvin. Um, and she watched it and she said, and what happened? I said, well, he got a 10 second penalty. She said, well, should he have reversed back up the stage? And I said, no. She said, well, what could he have done? I said, I don't know. So I'm going to put it to you, Jack Bengham. Was it a fair penalty? I think he was right not to reverse back up the stage, obviously, Absolutely. or drive back up the stage. Um, you know, that's 100% uh, a given. I think the other element to it is that the other teams may be claiming that he gained an advantage by doing it, which I totally disagree with. I think he probably, well, I'm almost certain that he lost time there. I know Toyota said that he'd lost time, but you always have to, you know, take things with a pinch of salt, don't you? And, and try and assess with your own eyes what you're seeing because, you know, Toyota aren't going to turn around and say, um, yeah, we gained a load of time from that. Um, <laughs> they're just not going to say that. So you, you kind of have to judge things with, you, with your own eyes and with a, with a pinch of salt. I, I personally don't think Elvin made up any time. I thought it was probably quite close, um, maybe a couple of seconds or, or, or so, but I definitely think he lost time there. The, the other element to this is, you know, the, I accept that, you know, maybe a 10 second penalty, um, in the current WRC is probably uh, a lot harsher than it would have been maybe 15 years ago. So I think that's also something to take into consideration when you look at the, like, for example, the times on Friday where there was like three and a half seconds between, you know, quite a few drivers there in, in the run order. And that's usually the case on these WRC rallies now on a, on a Friday and, and, and moving forward, you still only tend to get gaps of, sort of 20, 30 seconds to the to the winner. So 10 seconds is an extreme penalty. But having said all that, I do think Elvin deserves to be penalised because he has caused a problem there. And as much as he was right to not reverse back up the stage, I think he deserved to be penalised for the mistake that he'd made. And I'm not entirely sure that the time he lost was... Uh, you know, it's difficult, like measuring up against what I think his time loss was against what his penalty was, and I think he probably lost about two seconds, and the penalty was ten. So maybe like a five-second penalty would have been a bit fairer. Um, now, whether the stewards can do that, I'm not sure what their the graduation of penalty is in in their in terms of options of what they can uh, give. I'm sure they can give a five-second penalty for things like that, and I think that would have been a, a fairer uh, penalty in my opinion. But I I understand the contentiousness of this and I'm sure a lot of people will be sitting at home smashing their keyboards in or punching their screen saying what are you talking about Jack Benya but that's just my opinion then not even listen to the podcast while they're doing that <laughs> <laughs> Trevor Agnew as a as a as a, a highly experienced um, semi-retired co-driver of course out of retirement next weekend um, but as a as a as a co-driver a man who is you're always early for this podcast as an example we even talked about that before we started recording right but what do you think was right and what do you think was wrong with regards to how that was dealt with uh, as usual when it comes to these situations there's usually a precedent as we've talked about before and that could be a similar thing to missing a shakia and that type of thing is what the stewards would have looked at i know Bo swanner was part of the stewart panel and he's uh, a fair guy. Um, but for me, it's not about what happened and whether he should have had a penalty or not. I'd be looking if I was Elvin as to why he ran wide. And that's a bigger issue in that he admitted himself that he struggles to manage tyres on snow and ice. So that's a fundamental thing that would need to be addressed. If you look at both days, Friday and Saturday, towards the end of the day, he was losing time. 
probably why I ran wide. And of course, in that situation where you're on the spot, you jump the bank and you end up on a side road, which the snow bank was an artificial thing that was put in, I believe, after the recce. So he knew he was alongside it. You do the right thing, uh, the safest thing in his mind. But the most important thing for me is to why he ran wide in the first place. Just before I bring you in, John, can I just, yeah. Trev, just thinking back, and I can't remember anything directly like this, but the one thing that kind of screamed out at me when I when I was thinking about it this morning, because obviously I knew we were all going to talk, when Chris ended up in the car park in Mexico. There we are. I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it uh, because I did exactly the same as you. I watched uh, the highlights with my wife. That's how indulgent I'm I am. Glad you didn't watch what? it with mine because we probably how, didn't either. This, this would have took a bit of a turn. Yeah. Don't yeah. you like my voice? No, we didn't. There's none of that. Um, but she has just brought me in a bowl of jam roly poly with custard, which is very nice. And she said to me, oh, oh, that's a shame. So how big a penalty did they give Chris Meek in Mexico that time? Yeah, but the difference, John, was he was still in the stage. He went how? off when he was in the stage. So where did Elvin go off? Well, over the finish line. So he took he took the finish beam out as well the the flan finish. So um, if he if he went off the stage when he was out of the stage, then yeah. there's no competitive advantage here. Is it? He he, uh, he crossed the line, the, the clock stopped, and then he went off. Yeah, I think actually if you look back, he did lose about a second and a half, so he didn't gain time. He lost time to Cali's time. Right. Um, so. You know, the argument that he gained time isn't valid, and I think the stewards accepted that, but um, you can't have people going off taking finish boards and beams out. So, if only we had, so only we had Brian Champion here. endangerment or something like that. They yeah, it's, it's, yeah it's, there's a bit of that, and clearly, you know, we've, we've seen plenty of flan finishes that are uh, the one that you remember is way back in 2000, probably, John, or maybe just before your time when Bernsey went off over the finish line, stage seven, first stage of the day in Finland. I was actually there at the time, but that was a flying finish where he went off over the finish line, still set a fastest time, was leading the rally, even though he'd rolled it into a ball. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> It's it's not a good sign to have a, a dodgy flan finish line. That's that's the bottom line where you, uh, you're trying to push on to get an advantage by, you know, getting over the finish line and then seeing what happens afterwards. But that wasn't the case of Elvin, he just simply ran out of grip. And yeah. uh, that's think, what caused it. If you if you look at other drivers in the same corner, some were getting a little bit out of control, but most were able to cope with it. I think the thing with, with Meek was that as Trevor said he went off in the stage. And therefore, he, he's lost a, a realistic amount of time where he's made a mistake, he's gone off the road, he's then lost time getting back onto the road, and that has been factored into his stage time at the end. Whereas the unusual nature of Elvin's crash means that he, he was basically crashing into the finish. <laughs> so there wasn't a sporting opportunity for him to kind of... Off yeah, so more, um, loose evidence there. I can't remember where it was. I think it was Spain. Chris and Andreas Mickelson, I don't know, four or five years ago, both had both wheels, both axles, whatever you want to say, all four wheels off the stage and cut a corner. And I thought, yeah, that's good thinking. That's that's fine. And they were both punished for that, for taking all four wheels off the stage during the stage. Can't do that. 
take a time penalty. So in, in, where inside, is the consistency? That, that's inside the arrows, so the designated part of the stage. So we saw that. You remember the Morgan Park stages where Colin went completely across the grass? Uh, and you can do that if you're if you're not going between arrows. Uh, so the arrows are a defining yeah. part of that. Uh, certainly in, in the UK anyway, but in a lot of continental rallies you don't have arrows even. And then so, there was that, that other one where Colin and Gristy came off the stage and did something like a kilometre on the safari in 2002. I remember this because I was drinking beer in the Hemingway bar at the time. And uh, they came right off the stage and it was a deliberate move because on the recce they'd said, this is far too rough, we can't do this, we're going to break the car. Tell you what, let's just get up on this grassy bank up here and do a couple of k's up there. And that one in the rally. Hmm. So just going back to what you were asking, Tony, I think, you know, over the years, you'll have noticed some flying finishes where you could go around it in fourth gear as opposed to second gear and worry about what's going to happen once you get over the finish line. You have to discourage that. So ideally of a finish, a flying finish in a place where that's not going to happen. But in situations like this, you know, I just remember as well that this is this was a, an artificial part of a stage. So maybe there wasn't that amount of thought going into it. I'm not saying that, you know, but uh, we don't know what the circumstances are as to how that finish board was placed where it was. But I think the idea with the penalty is to try and avoid that. I can understand that. I, I completely get it. If only Ryan Champion was here, because he's the only one out of all of us that has actually crashed over a flying finish, as it turns out. Yeah, <laughs> uh, genuinely, he has. And, if, you know, fortunately, the man from Del Monte said, no, he's not here. Um, so I didn't, he's actually had this where he's gone off and, and ended up beach somewhere, I seem to remember. Well, it was Probably dead the clutch. Do you, know what, do, you know what, do you know what? I'm genuinely, I've been heckled on Instagram about that. <laughs> I thought my days being heckled were over. That's that my tagged, greatest achievement. Yeah, somebody tagged me in this debate or this photograph or this video about somebody uh, handbraking a Cleo, and somebody said about different the clutch. You know, it's only Tony Simpson who does that. It's like, oh, why am I being included in this? This is, that, is the, that is the best thing that's ever happened to me, and that includes getting engaged in the time, peri- <laughs> in the time period between the last podcast being recorded and this one being recorded. I, 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 I'm guessing that the missus is out at the moment, Jack. <laughs> no, she's in the other room, which is going to batter me when I go through that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Tony, Tony, as Oscar Wilde once said, the only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about. Yeah, but... Get talked about. Yeah. Uh, just at this point, for anybody listening to this first this podcast for the first time, Sorry. we had to explain any of these stories, <laughs> like the Del Monte man, like the handbrake <laughs> thing. Like we, we'd be here for three hours each episode. Yeah. So <laughs> you just have to learn. You have to go with it. You have to, or you could listen back. We've got a, a hell of a back catalogue. Um, I appreciate there's a lot of podcasts out there these days. We were, we, we, we believe it or not, it was only us at one point. <laughs> That's the other thing. There wasn't Make only sure us at one point. Make sure you're drinking a pumpkin spice latte coffee while you do the you listening get, back as well. It, it, yeah, Actually, so I, that's I, how was thinking, I was thinking of your original podcast, I think it was when I went to Sweden for the first time in 2015. Yeah. Uh, you interviewed, um, what's this Stonian guy? Uh, he all the multi colored, uh, Colin Clark interviewed, uh, what's his name? Um, was it KK? KK is his initials, I think. Oh, anyway. uh, Carl Kruder. Carl Kruder, yeah. So, yeah, he had done an interview just before I got there, actually, with Carl Kruder for Total Rally, so it was back then. Oh, that's wow. How, that's how far back you were. Yeah. Well, uh-huh. Total, Total Rally was actually in 2010 originally, just to mm-hmm. give you an idea. When podcasts were, 
yeah, I know. People didn't even know what podcasts were then. So you're at the cutting edge. I, what, do you know what? Genuinely, we were. We were. Uh, wasn't down to me, and I can quite casually tell you it wasn't down to Colin either, because we were not <laughs> programmed that way. Uh, it was down to James Muir, bless him, who's now a very, very senior TV producer um, for BT Sport, as it turns out. So, anyway, that's not, we're, we're getting sidetracked here. Um, can we talk about? Um, I want to talk about Cali Rovampera, and the reason why is because genuinely, I, I did watch the highlights package with my wife last night and she was asking me a lot of questions about Cali Rovenpera. Um is Cali Rovenpera I'm gonna ask you first, Jack, our first manufactured completely manufactured potential world champion in the waiting? It's a good question. It's definitely the first of this era where, you know, they've been bred for it since they were you know seven or eight years old obviously max verstappen's the the, the equivalent example in in circuit racing and you know the, these guys have been putting go-karts and and been driving things in in, in carly's case obviously on the local roads and stuff since they were you know six seven eight years old so yeah i, I think i think carly's definitely the the one where the roots go back the longest and he's you know he's been bred for this from from day from pretty much from day one. So I definitely say he's the the first one, and I hope the the WRC really capitalises on the opportunity that they've got with Cali because I know I know he's he can be relatively quiet and and stuff like that, but you know he's got his red ball back in and he's he's genuinely a, a lovely guy to talk to, and you know we're seeing him mature in front of us, and you know when we see, I think there's usually with most drivers a period in rallying where you go from. You know, in, in your kind of late twenties, you, you're kind of making mistakes and, and learning the ropes and, and really, uh, you know, adapting. And then once you, once you get towards your kind of the, you know, the end of your twenties and your early thirties, that's traditionally when you start to, to look like a world champion. And that's when you start to, uh, to achieve that kind of feat. But with, with, with Cali, obviously he's coming in so much sooner and we're seeing him have this, this transition period much earlier in his career than probably any other rally driver before or, or definitely, um, you know, recently anyway, he's been, you know, it, 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 you know, he's so young and he, he's in a top car and he's, he's winning rallies. So um, I definitely think there's an opportunity here where he's going to have a very, you know, he's got the potential to have a very long career. And if he can continue this, this growth, then what we've seen with him being bred from such a young age is going to pay off in, in terms of uh, long-term success. So that's going to be interesting to watch. Um, he's going to be around for a long time. I think Sweden proves that he's ready now to be a consistent contender. I know a lot of people will say, well, you know, that was on snow and that's, you know, what he's grown up on and, and that's what he's used to. But I think there were a lot of elements of that drive. I'm sure Trevor will be interested to talk about some of the, some of the kind of uh, mental aspects of his performance over the weekend and, and how he was kind of, um, you know, managing the lead and just, just generally kind of controlling the rally from, from, I guess, from Saturday onwards. But yeah, I, I just think we're, we're, we're seeing the early, um, maturation of a, a driver that we've probably not seen before in the WRC and that, that means he's going to be around for a long time uh, Trev um, is it is it healthy it's a strange angle I'm coming at before we talk about even the mental approach to, to, to what Cali did at the weekend um, uh, is, it, is it healthy that we're, we're, we're kind of almost organically growing <laughs> WRC drivers now uh, well, of course it is. He's eight years of age and he could yahoo a, a, a starlet round a frozen lake, um, which is incredible if you look back at that footage and 
Why not? Jesus, fantastic. Look at uh, Verstappen and how young he was, 16, 17, he was as competitive as he was. And, uh, yeah, he's just uh, done a deal today, I believe, for 55 million a year. That's not a bad, bad way to go, is it? Um, yeah, I, I think for me the most impressive bit that I've seen in a while was how he handled Friday afternoon. If you look at uh, the first stage, he went out on stage four. And of course, in Sweden, a lot of people probably didn't think about it before the rally. Uh, but the second pass of the stage is particularly bad. So if you run first on the road, unless there's a fresh fall of stone the night before the rally, then it's bad, but it's not too bad. But the second pass after the historic rallies have been through, sorry, the historic competitors, you've got old sabs and things that got creating a completely different line. I remember the very first year that I was in WRC Live, uh, having a chat with Mr. Ogier at the end of the Hagfirst Sprint, you remember, John? And uh, the pass in the afternoon after the Storks had been there, it was only like a couple of Ks, and he was having a proper moan about these historic rallies no. uh, and, and running just in front of them. And I said, maybe one day it's a beautiful Mark II Escort as well. Well, that wasn't the thing to say to him at the point. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that's a big problem. And uh, and Cali, on the first stage, he did drop, I think, something like 16 seconds over. Yeah. It was over a second a K anyway. But once he worked it out on the next one, he was like seven seconds down over 28k um so from there on you knew that this he was on it like and and that's great news because he didn't yap about it he didn't win that i heard anyway but run first in the road if he has a, a problem Croatia, you know he didn't have a great rally there so maybe he won't know the roads as well then he's going straight into five gravels and there's a potential there to be run first in the roads on those five rallies and for me that's where ogier um really used to excel was get just getting his head down and you'd always hear him say I'm doing my best I'm doing my best and the odd time he'd, he'd just lose it but generally he got on with the task and I think that's the test for Cali this year Okay Tony John, just before just yeah. before you shift this on Tony just to, one thing on what Trevor said that I wanted to expand on I just think it's great that age is becoming less of a factor in general not just young age but also people getting older as well because we're seeing it across sport in general anyone who watches football obviously there's Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo and anyone who watches football is Tom Brady's just retiring um, in, into his 40s and, and not long won a Super Bowl and I think it's just it's fantastic that we're getting to a stage where age is just not considered a particularly important thing if, if you're happy you're healthy and you're, you're not feeling pressured into doing something that you don't want to do then the, the opportunities are there for you and especially with the drivers who are getting a bit older obviously we saw Seb Loeb in, in Monte Carlo, the, the the things like physiotherapy and, and recovery and things like that are just getting so advanced now that you can compete at such a high level, you know, going into into older age. So I, I just think it was from from what Trevor was saying, it's worth pointing out that it's just fantastic to see whether it's Cali at, at such a young age or whether it's Seb at, at an older age winning in Monty, then it's 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 nothing but good for the sport if you've got a, a variety of ages and we, we should be looking for. You know the, the the people who are most capable to do things, not not necessarily how old they are or what background they come from or anything like that. You know, everyone should be on an equal playing field, and I think that's great to see. I can tell you quite categorically, I'm still feeling my accident, and I'm 47, the same age as Seb. That's all I'm going to say to you, uh, big, <laughs> big John. Um, um, it's a simple answer to your question. Yes. Okay. Is the is the simple answer, but I'll take in what um, 
<clears throat> what Trev says, once we get out of Croatia, where very interestingly, John Armstrong, winner of Rally Sweden for the juniors, said, it's, t- I think he, what he said last time we talked, Tony, is it's tarmac, but it's not tarmac like we know it. Um, he's got to get through that. And then there is, as Trevor says, an awful lot of gravel. And I think if you want to win this championship, you've got to be best on gravel because there's most of it. And you've got to learn how to deal with being first on the road, as Trevor says. Um, but I would, I was trying to rack my brain for other manufactured champions. And of course, we've only ever had two champions for the last 20 odd years, and they've both been called Seb. And the first one, you might make a case for Seb Lowe being manufactured because I was trying to think how old he was when he got into the kit car, when he was kicking around in what would it have been, 2000, 2001, something like that. Was he a teenager at that point? Was he into his 20s? And what had he done beforehand? And uh, <clears throat> it's no surprise that he became world champion because the French were investing in young talent, which is what the French Federation does and finding them and bringing them on. So, you know, in the same way, the French Federation did what Harry did with Calla, and that was, you know, find a guy and put him in a car. I'm just amazed that I'm always amazed that a son can follow a father, you know, that um, Colin followed Jimmy. Uh, Damon Hill followed uh, Graham Hill, all these sorts of things Um, and I think it's a fascinating study to be done in how a son can follow a father and in Callow's question he is better than Harry faster than Harry, I mean Elvin and Gwyndaf again is another example Uh, but is he the first manufactured champion? Probably is. The danger for Elvin is that he's going to be manufactured to win this this season because I was talking to some people over the weekend saying the danger is that Toyota are going to look at him and say, wow, he really has come on and done well, and Elvin's had his two mistakes. Uh, You know, Seb Ogier, we used to talk about, you've only got two mistakes, or is it three a season, something like that. So Elvin's had two of his three lives. Uh, Calla hasn't had any. And the danger for Elvin is that Toyota begin to think this is Calla Robin Paris season, not next season. Um, if we can just talk about the teams briefly, because we're going to have our, our, our John Armstrong showing is very, very shortly. Um, from an M Sport point of view, um, uh, obviously polar opposite to, to obviously Monte Carlo, Trev, um, trials and tribulations for Craig. Um, and obviously, you know, the others as well, to some degree. Not not particularly a strong weekend for them. No, and it was always going to hurt when Craig's run of form came to uh, came to an end. And uh, yeah, it was a the first blow on stage two was probably just uh, a typical Swedish rally incident where he leaned on the bank and he got sucked in. Then the distraction that led to the next one is something that yeah. He'll definitely learn from that. And it's hard when your windscreen's frozen or you're being distracted by washers to focus on the notes. And that's clearly what happened in that situation. So, um, but he'll bounce back. Um, and, uh, the rest of the rallies, probably two of the rallies where he would be least comfortable in the car. We know on tarmac he's going to love it. And on gravel, I suspect that that car would be well sorted. Um, so. The only issue that threw up was because of the commercial setup with M Sport and Ford, they don't have the driver quality that the other two teams have. So, of course, you've got Adrian Formal, who's coming back and needed to finish the rally to get the confidence. Uh, of course, Gus, who realistically, if he got on a podium, would be absolutely brilliant. But in a Swedish rally, top five is realistic. So 
the, the strength and depth uh, just showed itself up, I suppose. And uh, there's nothing you could do about that unless you're going, going to get uh, somebody paying for big, big drivers to come back in. So uh, that that's the, that's the downside of having that set up. Jack, I'll come to you. I'm not coming to you for any other reason than the fact that I know you're a massive fan. Um, does the... Does this perhaps inspire M Sport into looking at maybe trying to to do more with Seb now, based on the fact that they are a little bit susceptible, as 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 Trev's just been pointing out? Uh, it's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I think they'll be disappointed with the performance at the weekend. I don't think anyone will be uh, arguing with that statement. But I think you know the it's it's gravel and tarmac from here mostly, isn't it? So I think they'll be fairly confident that they've done the the development for those surfaces and that things are, are going to improve. So I, I don't think anyone at M Sport A will be massively shocked by the performance at the weekend and B will be hitting the panic button because they've had a bad weekend. I think they were probably had a good idea that this was going to happen. Um even if it didn't happen until the shakedown. Um I think they I think they would have known. Um and yeah I think I don't. Think, I really don't think there's any any need to panic. Obviously, it's a it's a difficult round for them, but at the same time, you know, there's there's people like Elvin Evans who are, who are 42 points behind the the championship lead now. So it's definitely not a point where M Sport really need to panic, in in my opinion. Okay. Okay. Um, just a quick one, boys, because we're going to bring John in 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 literally one minute. Um, uh, a bit, a bit, this is where it's going to get confusing. We'll have two Johns again, aren't we? Um, John Desbreth. <laughs> I'll, I'll yes. start getting ready for this. Um, John Desborough, um, yes. high and I, we, we, we spoke obviously about all its frustrations before. Obviously, Thierry, you made reference to the fact that he's, he's in his usual second place. Um, Oliver Solberg, um, I think it was a trying weekend for him. And, you know, it's obviously his first year and everything else. I don't really want to get too bogged down on that. I, I, Ryan and I spoke briefly last week with regards to, to the high and I setup. Obviously, there's, there's been management you know, moves and changes and people leaving and stuff. Um, does it feel a little bit rudderless at the moment? Uh, I couldn't honestly say whether it feels rudderless, but it, it certainly looks rudderless. And um, they need a leader in there, you know, like Andrea Adamo. Leaders, leaders come in and they, you know, crystallise the situation and you either work with them or you don't. And they have a habit of um, uh, getting the best out of people or um, forcing people to get on the road and move somewhere else. And it needs someone like an Andrea Adamo to come in and concentrate the situation and be have the title leader of the team. And that needs to be done very quickly, I think. Yeah, I agree. Um, Trev, I wouldn't mind your take on that. As I say, Ryan and I did debate it a little bit last week. Um, is do we do we need? You know, I mentioned obviously Christian Lorio's involvement. You know, maybe maybe somebody like him comes to the fore. But you know, it feels like they need an experienced hand in there. Yeah, of course they do, and someone who. Uh, yeah, someone who can lead a team. Uh, and has experience of leading a team. And I'm not sure if that's present in Hound at the minute. I know certainly in Monte Carlo, you know, the, what I heard was it was a very disorganized team. And of course they were late to the rally. They've got a bit of a chance now, uh, before Croatia of catching up some of that time. And hopefully they'll do that. It's great to see them competitive at the weekend. Uh, a lot of people weren't expecting that. But of course, on a snow rally, you're not going to have the same pressure on the car. You're not going to uh, have the same resistance, etc. So, you know, if the reliability issues that they've had in the past have continued into this car, then uh, we'll find that out. 
uh, when we move into Croatia and the gravel rallies after it, especially the rougher ones. So that could be the Achilles heel. But yeah, it's just, it just, they just need somebody to, to uh, pull together the team and support everybody in there. Jack, to use your football analogy, it definitely feels like there's a caretaker manager there. <laughs> yeah, I think they, I think everyone's right. They do need to sort that out. But I thought there was, you know, there were signs of improvement, uh, you know, relative to Monty. So, you know, for the same reason that we shouldn't get to, you know, we should be hitting the panic button for M Sport. I think it, we shouldn't read too much into Hyundai being better on snow than they were at the Monty. But still, it, it looked a, a bit more organised and a bit more sorted to me from Sweden. They've got two months before Croatia, as, as Trev mentioned. So, uh, I'm still not, I'm still not ready to uh, rule them out of the, the the championship yet, personally. Okay, okay, um, boys, we're going to go to a little break, and then we're going to come back with our one question each for our own John Armstrong. This is Absolute Rally. Absolute Rally continues to be partnered by the Kielder Works team, who remain fully committed to the sport and are pioneers of the latest technology. Kielder cordless tools are tailored for all forms of competitive action. Go back to the future with the Kielder Works team. Welcome back to the next section of Absolute Rally. And of course, as, as predicted, we, we were going to bring back our man in JWRC. Um, now, now kind of part of the, dare I say, part of the team. I don't know. Um, John Armstrong, firstly, congratulations to you and Brian. Thank you very much. Uh, it's great to be back on the show so soon. And uh, yeah, it was pretty much a, a perfect start to our year. So we couldn't ask for more. Well, you could. You could, you could, you could come to ask to be back on here. Just going to say that. So what, what we've decided, John, is that rather than ra- rather than everybody kind of try and ask you lots and lots of questions, everyone's going to be allowed one question and one question only. Now, I'm going to start. First question, John, what did you have for your breakfast on the final day? It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a good question. The catering is very nice. Uh, we were sharing a catering uh, corner with the me and M sport team. So yeah, it was all very nice food, but I seem to remember it being eggs and bacon, which is quite a good story. I think, you know, <laughs> I'm pretty it, sure there's, is there not a children's book about that? Uh, was it, was it scrambled or did, did you go poached? Scrambled. Yeah. Scrambled. Okay. Good. Good. It's Dr. Zeus, isn't it? Dr. Zeus. Yeah. Dr. Zeus, yeah. yeah. Dr. Zeus. So, so, okay. So that was my question. Um, so I'm going to go to Trevor Agnew, your question for John Armstrong. John, well done on the weekend. Uh, how challenging was it to understand your new co-driver with the accent in particular? (laughs) (laughs) um, Do you want the real question? I'll give you the real question then. It is related to Brian, of course. And the last time you were in Sweden, of course, everybody remember what happened there. And I think at the time you said it was a pace note issue. So going into the weekend, new co-driver, clearly needing to make sure your notes are right. Just talk us through that bit. Yeah, well, I think the the crash that I had in 2020 in Sweden, um, there was lots of different uh, aspects to why that probably happened. But one of the main ones was uh, just being a bit incompetent with uh, the way I was making my pace notes. And I think last year I'd learned a lot of new methods in terms of how to make my pace notes and, and review them after the recce. Um, and then in Sweden, it was just a matter of trying to you know, carry through the things that I had learnt and, uh, yeah, tried to eliminate things that I still wasn't happy with. And I think I took another good step forward and, 
yeah, the recce went very nicely and, and Brian was really good at uh, making the changes on the second pass so that the the flow wasn't really uh, disturbed on the second pass. It was really, really, really good. And uh, yeah, then just looked over all of the, the notes on the video um, after the recce and uh, yeah, I think I was pretty happy uh, with everything and made some changes here and there. But yeah, in all in all, the week went very very smoothly, and we just we had uh, we had the goal of just enjoying it, and I think that really you know paid off in the end. That'll never catch on. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> right, you've had your one question, um, Desbrook John. Your question for Armstrong yes, John. Thank you, Armstrong John. Congratulations, very well done. Uh, I had lots of questions, but I just thought I'd settle on something very TV. What was the view like from the top of the podium, John? It was quite uh, quite nice, actually. Yeah, it was um, beside the the river, um, which had, I think it started to unfreeze at that point, which was quite interesting. But yeah, it was a special moment to, to be on the podium, especially with with William Crichton and Liam Regan too, to get their first podium. Um, so we've got quite a a good relationship with them. So it was quite yeah, just a special moment really to to be on the podium whenever they got their first podium and uh, for us to be on the top step. Um, and yeah, there was lot, lots of uh, lots of people there and, and uh, Irish spectators and people from back home. So it was uh, a very nice yes. feeling and uh, quite surreal, to be honest. But um, yeah, uh, I, I didn't expect to win in Sweden, but uh, yeah, it was probably the mo- one of the most enjoyable wins I've ever had, if not the, the most enjoyable. Good. Well right. done. Uh, Jack Bennion, your 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 proper journalistic head on. Um, I've asked important questions such as breakfast. What's yours? Uh, why do you keep coming back on this podcast when it's hosted by Tony Simpson? <laughs> <laughs> is this that is the real the real question? No, no, that's not the real. Question. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not that horrible, to Tony, as much as people might think I am. But I was interested to get your thoughts a little bit, kind of um, not really specific to the event, but just rallying on on snow in general and how difficult it is to concentrate when you've just got like a wall of white in front of you and and, and snowbanks either side of the road and and how you kind of adapt to that and if there's anything you can do to to work on it because there'll be a lot of people in in the UK who listen to this podcast who've, who've never rallied on snow before and not gone through those through those challenges. So yeah, give us a bit of a taste of that. Yeah, so it's my well, let's say it's my second time doing a snow rally. Uh, the Sweden 2020 didn't really have much snow, so but I, I'd done one previous rally in La Paya in 2015. Um, but yeah, the sort of the, the blindness that you can get from the whiteness of the, the snow, and the, the, you know, if everything's got a, a good fresh layer of snow, then it's quite hard to define the road from the banks, um, the snow banks. So I was using. Uh, yellow tinted glasses which seemed to uh, make a nice difference to be honest and uh, yeah um, I was happy using them all weekend and uh, I think for sure if anyone's doing a snow rally um, then I would recommend using some sort of tinted glasses just to help define the sides of the road from from the actual road that you're driving on Uh, but in terms of driving style it's not that much different than on gravel uh, you kind of you want to be maybe a little bit more uh, neat and tidy on the exit of the corner, just so you're uh, getting the stud to to dig in and, and keep pushing you forward. But um, yeah, it, I think you can overthink it too much. Um, 
you know, if you can drive on tarmac and gravel, then you should be able to, to drive on snow. Uh, but I think the most, the most difficult thing was just the different sorts of conditions that we faced because, uh, you know, each stage sort of had either fresh snow, which was getting rutted up, and then you had to sort of try to stay in the ruts to, to find the traction. Uh, then we had some other stages that were getting uh, dug down to the, the gravel on the second pass, and especially on the 27-kilometre stage, I lost some of my studs towards the end, so uh, that really... Um, well, I, d- I didn't lose too much time, but on the following stages, I was, uh, I'd was i lost those studs, so I was really missing them then, and yeah, our times probably could have been better if we hadn't had the studs, so uh, it's yeah, it's probably trying to manage your tyres. Thankfully, the conditions were quite good across the whole weekend, but um, certainly once you start to lose those studs, then you're really going to start hemorrhaging time, and uh, even if the, the stud starts to become a bit loose in the block, um, you start to even notice then that there's a lot of movement in the, the car compared to when the tyres are fresh, so yeah, I, I think I've done an okay job of looking after my tyres. Um, I know on Sunday I went with more of a risky strategy. I went with uh, only one spare. I think Yuna went with two spares after he'd seen I went with one. Um, but then previous to that, over the course of the weekend, in the morning loops, I went with two spares and he had one, so um, yeah, I think we were doing different strategies the whole weekend and thankfully ours worked out in the end. Aren't you glad that I asked what you have for breakfast now? <laughs> <laughs> well, I got the longest answer, so I must have asked the best question. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, so, that, so that's it. We've, we've all had our one question for, for John Armstrong. John, have you got any questions for us? Uh, yeah, I would like to know what everyone's favourite stage of the weekend was. The one where you won, yeah. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, as a, that's a, an unbeatable answer, that one. With a, with a vested interest, <laughs> the one where you won. <laughs> it um, was an amazing stage. It was very fast. Yeah, no, they, they, they all look fast. Does anybody want to offer the... the I've, I've answered that. The one where, you, one where John won is, is done, as far as I'm concerned. Jack, um, do you want to answer I'll tell that? You what, John, oh. I'll tell you what I will say, uh, and I'll be very disrespectful to Karlstadt, a place where I've had many beers and good times in the past is you were glad you must have been relieved not to have to do the trotting track which as the world has warmed was an absolute disgrace more like a swimming pool and uh, moving to Ummiel was good because that arena stage uh, with all the lights where Elvin binned it right at the end controversially that looked like a good arena stage to me mm-hmm. uh, yeah it was really nice because yeah, at the start of the stage you had a bit of a sort of normal um, style road where yeah, it was very fast and high speed and not so many spectators. And then once you got towards the end of the stage, you had the arena at the finish to, to finish. And it was quite nice. You know, you've you done this flat out section at the beginning and at the at the end you have like a bit of a a party in front of all the, the spectators yeah. and uh, there was lots of jumps and uh, dips in, in the arena and it was felt quite nice because the the rest of the rally didn't really have any mm. any sort of jumps. I think maybe one jump across the rest of the rally. So mm. um, it was quite, quite nice just to put on a bit of a show. Uh, so yeah, it was a good stage. <laughs> 
And listen, if I'm a bit greedy, just thinking as a mercenary, do you get anything for this other than a trophy and a pat on the back and us telling you how well you've done? I mean, <laughs> did, did, does anybody hand you a check or, you know, a first-class ticket home or something or a free entry uh, in the next round? Or? Not not yet. I mean, I've got a quite a nice trophy, which, uh, yeah, that's uh, got a pride uh, place on the, on the mantelpiece now. But yeah. obviously it's a good start to the championship where yeah. um, the championship's got a very very good prize uh, for the champions so yeah we'll uh, we'll focus on trying to keep the momentum going now and uh, yeah hopefully we'll be in a position to, to challenge for for the championship at the end good well said right um, believe it or not boys we're at any other business can you believe that um, John you can have a think because you can do your own um, Trevor Agnew uh, have you got any other business I do yeah 25 years ago this week, Neil Wearden and I did our first ever rally, which was the Malcolm Wilson Rally in 1997 in Holland Pacific. And I think we were setting times in the top 10, which is quite nice. So when he asked me to do the rally uh, in his Hyundai two-litre Duratec uh, this year, I thought, why not? And I was actually sober at the time and not hungover. <laughs> so uh, this time next week, we'll be heading that way. Um so yes, looking looking forward can, to, can, to go can, out. Can, can I add to that? Um, um, Neil Whedon does listen to this podcast. Um, he does, and I, I know that. Poor and, fella. Yeah, I know. I feel for him. Um, <laughs> but um, Neil does have a bit of a thing about the font size of his co-driver's names on the back window of his cars. <laughs> um, and, and you know, I'm not even a co-driver, but I think that, I think it's a bit awkward the fact that he makes it as small as what he can. Now he I don't should. know whether. I don't know whether it's the weird ego here where he feels he needs to be the headliner. I'm not entirely sure. I've never quite got to the bottom of it. But, you know, the, the small name, Trev, as long as you're all right with having a small name, I think you're going to, I think the, the, the marriage will, 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 will work again. I think the magic will come back. You see, but, there's something there because so, you probably won't remember this, but Neil Weirden was probably the first driver to have a website. And yeah. when we were in the Astra, all we had on the side windows for one year, I don't know if it was both years, was weirden.com. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I didn't get it. And that was, that was our idea in Slipstream at the time, because uh, we were just starting out in that journey. So, yeah, it, it wasn't a rule to have my name on there, so we thought that would be good on both sides. There you go. So, um, yeah, so I, 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 unfortunately, I won't be doing the rally. Um, my car hasn't made it. So, oh, um, no. yeah, I know. So, uh, you can sit with Neil if you want. Uh, do you know what? I'm all right. It's funny you should say that. I'm all right. Thanks. He, Are you he, sure? He, he sat that, with that, me on a, he sat with me on a test not so long ago. Ask him about it because I think he was a bit nervous. He did. Fact, I, know he, I know he was a bit nervous actually. Um, Jack Banging, you're any of the business. Well, first of all, the answer to the question of the, the font is obviously 60 mil tall in Helvetica bold, condensed white. <laughs> <laughs> well that's only if you speak to Barney Mitchell yeah. who uh, knows a thing or two about rallying so I'll take his word for it if that's what he says then that's what I'm going with uh, also there's uh, a significant person we've not mentioned on this uh, on this podcast who I have co-driven for at one stage as a Pekalapi well hang who... on a minute that's a big shop isn't it <laughs> did you win the circuit of Ireland with him <laughs> I wish I wish I'd done the Circuit of Ireland with anyone uh, but I, I co-drove as a Piccolapi on the on the 200 yard Goodwood stage so uh, that's uh, yeah no, no, no Jack you don't need to do that bit of the story just leave it with when I'm <laughs> co-driving with Esa Pekka just leave it there let, let well, the listener do the work 
We've not mentioned him, and he finished the half minute of the of the win in in his first rally back, and just thought he'd he'd done a great job in his first weekend in the in the Yaris. So yeah, really impressed with that. And if that's a, a sign of of things to come for later in the season, then I think we're in for some uh, some top performances from him. So generally nice guy, and, and lovely to see him back in the WRC to be honest. But yeah, uh, especially when he puts in a performance like that. Nice to see a happy happy as opposed to yappy lappy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, I see what you did there, Shrev. You've been saving that for quite some time, haven't you? When he you can was tell he's got his own podcast now. You can you tell can't. he's got his own podcast. He's slick, isn't he? I'll give him that. He's slick. He is. Uh, Desbrook John. Um, well, gang, I'm going to put the bobble hat on in a couple of weeks and I'm going to go and do the recce for the Northwest stages. As a result of saying on this podcast the last time I was on, I need to get out more. Where am I going to go? And I had invitations to West Cork, I think. And was contacted by the Northwest Stages, so I've accepted an offer to do the recce, or rather wow. do the uh, do the uh, some of the prep on the Friday and go to scrutineering, smell some petrol, and um, maybe watch sit- a few bands you, who, and things. Who, who are you sitting with, John? Is there any no, no, no. I'm, I'll just be sitting with the in the zero car. I think it's going around I, I, on the Friday. I, I, will, I will be up there for some meetings, John. So we'll, we, we. Oh well, there we go. We'll have yeah. a cup of coffee, and you absolutely. Can I look forward uh, to it. Mm. And so that's that's very good. Looking forward to that one. Well, I did have to say something. I'll probably have to set off now to get to <laughs> from South England. I mean, if I look out the window, I can practically, practically see France. That's how far south I am. But there we go. And um, I, I would so give it an hour to that roly poly to just. <laughs> <laughs> it's good too. Um, I would. Just, do, you, do you guys remember the Peanuts cartoon back on the back pages of the sports pages of the Daily Mail in the whenever it was? Peanuts used to have a character called Linus who had a comfort blanket. My comfort blanket is back, which is in the shape of EWRC, which yes. to me is a wonderful institution and needs all of us to support it with a little bit of subscription, which I'd happily do if they just got in contact with me and told me how to give them a few a few quid. Not a lot. Uh, but uh, it was wonderful to have my comfort blanket back today. Um, and the only other business I had was, could people tell me what they thought of the racing drones on stages at Rally Sweden? Did they like them? Did they add to the coverage? Uh, love to know people's opinions. Um, I think that's almost a, ret- a rhetorical type question where people can come back. <laughs> otherwise, we could do a whole other half an hour on this. But um, my, my answer to that briefly um would be uh, i enjoyed some of it some of it actually made me feel a little bit disconcerted and gave me a bit of a balance issue so uh yeah that's where i'll go that's where i'll go yeah, yeah. And um, my, my two pence my two pence the uh the flying through the teams in the service park was amazing i loved that yeah. um on the stage is this the sound sync is something uh, i don't know if it's possible to work on it or not but you know the footage is great which is yeah. sometimes uh, the sound was coming from the car, but not from the drone, and it was a little bit confusing. Just my yeah. tuppence. Yeah, now there you go. Um, um, we, we can ask John Armstrong for, for his any other business. Uh, my any other business will keep uh, Mr. Matrick and Seb Scott happy, and I'll point out how good the Rally 3 car was in Sweden. Um, I don't know if you've seen on social media, but it's like a perfect split now between Rally 1, Rally 2 and Rally 3 in terms of the different the time difference per kilometre. But okay. there's two seconds per kilometre between each each class. So um, yeah, it's nice to see that it's, it's perfectly structured and uh, yeah, the Rally 3 car was was quite amazing to, 
the drive in Sweden and uh, yeah hopefully we'll see see more and more of them crop up in the future and uh, yeah even more manufacturers to give Matchek a bit of a run for his money <laughs> completely yeah, next, on point and on brand well done <laughs> next time can you pace it a little bit better so you don't have to have 2.7 <laughs> seconds of margin left <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah hopefully hopefully it'll be a bit of a, a better gap next time I couldn't agree more couldn't agree more um Guys, that's 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 it, really. Um, sadly, uh, my only business this week is to to just obviously reach out to the rally family again. Unfortunately, we lost somebody over in Ireland um, a week or so back now. Very, very sadly, Ian McCarthy, um, young man, just doing what he loved and doing what we all love, um, and we never, ever, we never, never, ever want to see these stories we all accept and we all know what we get into and what we do um but very very sad and our thoughts and wish good wishes and and condolences go out to to, to all family and friends and um yeah the best from from all of us here folks that has been absolute rally for this week we'll be back same time same place in the podcast all next week absolute rally Powered by the Kielder Works team. Spread the word and download the podcast every week 